portion of God's Word that you and I have the opportunity to focus our attention on for a little while this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen redeemer. Amen. So at the beginning of the service, I I mentioned uh, a brief comparison between the last leper that we saw healed and these 10. I think the biggest difference is that it doesn't happen right there in Jesus' presence, right? These 10 men, they, they clearly have heard what Jesus has done to help others, probably lepers like them, and, and they truly believe he, he can help us. Jesus said as much at the end, right? Your faith has made you well. You actually believed that I could help you. You asked me for mercy, and he gave it, but not in the moment. He sends them on their way to the man who can set them free. You see, in in Jesus' day, if you had a disease like leprosy, if you ever wanted to re-enter society, if you wanted to go home to see your spouse or go back to your job and leave that leper colony outside of town, the priest had to say, you're clean. Then you could go back. But you normally wouldn't go unless you actually thought you were clean. You would never dare go show yourself to the priest if your body was covered with leprosy. Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priest, and it's not till they're on the way that they're cleansed. This is uncommon mercy. No one else could show them the kind of life-changing mercy that Jesus showed them in that moment. No one else could take their leprosy away. If you or I were there, and we were walking in the same road that Jesus was walking in, and those men were over on the side yelling out to us for help, they could ask us for any number of things, right? They could ask us to go get them water, and we could bring it and set it nearby. They could ask us to go get them food, and we could bring it and set it nearby. They could ask us for anything they needed, and if we were able, we could have gone and brought it to them. We could have stopped. We could have waved and smiled and shown kindness. We could have held a conversation from a distance. Anything, right? There's a lot we could have done to show mercy, but we never could have done what Jesus did. This mercy was uncommon. 
And not only was it uncommon as in rare, it was incredibly detailed. Jesus is on his way to die. He's on his way to to shed his blood for the sins of every single man, woman, and child to ever live, including these men. He is already about to do everything for them. He's about to take care of a far greater need than their desire to reenter society, as great of a desire as that would have been. As big of a difference as their clean skin is going to make for the rest of their lives, Jesus is going to make their hearts clean. He's going to cleanse them of every single sin they've ever committed. That's everything to them. It makes them at peace with God. And it guarantees that eternity awaits them. What does it matter if they die with leprosy or not? If their sin is forgiven, they will live forever with perfection as their clothes. Their bodies will never fail again. Jesus has already done everything for them. And yet he does more. He cares for their earthly needs too. And he does it for people who will be ungrateful and unmerciful. People who won't perfectly appreciate what he's done for them. He helps. Can you imagine if you did everything for someone? They need a house and you open your home and you give them a room in their house. And the next morning... They come downstairs and they complain about the bed and the pillow and the breakfast that you fed them. Can you imagine if you went out of your way to help someone like that and they basically spit in your face? Or how about if somebody needed a job and you provided them with employment, but the next day they quit because it just wasn't for them? Would you be eager to help that person more? Would you go the extra mile and and help them with other things that they needed or would you be a little hesitant to continue offering help to someone who was so unthankful? I think you know the answer. Our mercy is common. It's not like Jesus's. His mercy was uncommon. It, It changed lives and it never stopped. If something's uncommon, it's rare. If something is rare, it's valuable. In 2007, a 1909 T206 Honus Wagner baseball card made by the American Tobacco Company was sold for $2.8 million. The owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks was apparently a big Honus Wagner fan and bought this nearly 100-year-old baseball card, a sheet of paper with a picture on it, $2.8 million. How in the world could something become that valuable? It's really rare. There's hardly any of them available. Something's rare, value goes up. The more rare it is, the more valuable it is. Think of Jesus' mercy this way. Why is... Jesus' love, his mercy, it's the most valuable thing we have, right? We could say that so flippantly. Why? Why is it so valuable? Why is Jesus' death on the cross, why is the mercy that he showed to these lepers, to you and to me, why is it so priceless? It's because it's so rare. It's because there is nothing like Jesus' mercy. It is the most valuable thing we have. 
He poured out his blood for the sins of the world. He defeated the thing we fear the most as sinful human beings, death itself. He has mastery over it. His resurrection proves that not only are your sins forgiven, but death will not be the end for you. It will not be the end for me. Eternity awaits. Jesus' mercy is infinitely valuable because it's so rare. And so as your worship folder says, maybe you're a little confused by all these words. Uncommon mercy leads to uncommon thankfulness. What is this all about? It makes sense that if something is this valuable, it's going to lead to uncommon thankfulness. But the the last point I want you to take home today is the simple fact that this uncommon mercy of Jesus, it doesn't just demand uncommon thankfulness. It actually creates uncommon thankfulness. These 10 men, they're on their way to the priest and their skin changes. Can you blame the nine? Can you blame the nine for sprinting to the man who's gonna give them their freedom so they could go home and see their spouse, their kids, go back to work, re-enter life? Can you blame them? You might be thinking that this second part of the miracle where only one goes back and, and nine don't is the part where I say, okay guys, Time to be like the one and not like the nine. You you know more often than not, we're like the nine. It is so easy to get distracted by life. Maybe you see someone who's suffering. Maybe it's one of those commercials on TV that shows a need somewhere and then the number you can call to help. Maybe you see pictures or read articles or, or witness suffering in the world that you're not enduring and it, and it triggers in your mind this realization of just how blessed you are. And that realization leads to guilt because you realize as someone who is as blessed as you are, as I am, maybe we're not perfectly thankful all the time. Maybe times go by when we are taking the blessings we have for, for granted and so you feel guilty. And, and what's the next thing that happens? I'm going to do better, right? I'm going to show more thankfulness to God. I'm going to love my neighbor in ways that I've never loved my neighbor before. I'm going to find ways to be thankful. Then a few hours later or a few days later, you, you get distracted by the things going on in your life. You're busy and you forget all about that moment of motivation that you once experienced. You know Why? Because the source of your motivation was guilt. It was the law. The law of God showed you where you failed like I so often fail. The the, the reality of blessing in your life and the suffering of someone else led you to see a truth that you don't perfectly thank God the way you should. And you felt guilty. And you tried to use that guilt to motivate you to love, to be more thankful. The law does not motivate Guilt will never motivate godly living. That's what our second reading was talking about today. The law and the spirit, they don't go together. They don't mix. The spirit wants to serve God, but the sinful nature wants to obey the law. The sinful nature wants to be a slave to the law. And all the law does is show failure and bring out guilt. For you and I to love 
For you and I to show uncommon thankfulness, it must flow from the uncommon mercy of Jesus. It must flow from an understanding of faith that clings to what Jesus actually did. It seems like we only talk about the graphic pictures of the crucifixion during Lent, doesn't it? Jesus is walking in our text toward the Roman scourge. That horrible whip that was going to destroy his flesh, literally. He was about to be fastened with nails to a cross made out of wood. He was going to hang there, not enduring just physical pain and torture, but the wrath of his father, as his father treated him as your sins deserve and as my sins deserve. Brothers and sisters, he did not run away from this, but toward it. For you. For me, for all the times that we don't show mercy like God shows mercy, for all the times that we don't show thankfulness the way this one leper did. The only thing that will motivate uncommon thankfulness is the uncommon mercy of our Savior. And so my encouragement to you today is to use this knowledge, to use this faith that you have in Jesus to remind you to find the only source that can motivate thankfulness when you feel that guilt. When you feel the guilt of your sins for the times that you haven't been thankful for all the blessings, don't use that guilt to motivate. Go to Jesus' uncommon mercy. And then together, let's look for ways that we could show uncommon thankfulness. You guys are incredibly generous. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I have never met a congregation like you the way that you serve God with your, your financial treasures to support this ministry is mind-boggling. The way you give of your time to help people who are in need, myself included, is, is amazing. The way that you bring things, stuff, resources here to give to people who need them blows my mind as that table continues to fill up with food and, and diapers and clothes for those who are in need. It's truly remarkable. But let's remember together that giving money and stuff is awesome but it'll never change a heart. The only thing that will bring someone to have faith in Jesus that you and I have is the, is the word of God. And so as we use our money and, and our time and our gifts, our resources to help people with earthly needs, let's make sure that we're always looking for ways to share God's word with them. Let's make sure that we're always looking for ways to share with them the uncommon mercy of Jesus that motivates our uncommon thankfulness. I look forward to, to working with you, to serving alongside of you. In the months to come, you're going to see things coming out from your leadership here at Mount Olive. We're going to be giving you ways to, to serve with your money and with your time and with your gifts and with your blessings. I look forward to working together with you, not only to help people with their earthly needs, but to share Jesus with them too. Amen.